Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that we could come before you this day. God, our hearts are just full of of praise and worship to you for your amazing love that you have shown to us. Lord, I, I just pray now that as we come, that we could hear your word. We are in great need, Lord. We need to not only hear your word, but to be doers as well. And so we pray that as the word is open, that your spirit would work in our hearts to receive that word by faith and that we would produce fruit, reaping a harvest, God, to your name and to your praise and glory. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at James chapter 1, we we are reminded that the Christian faith is a living faith. It is a a, a real life faith. And and we see this in James' letter to the congregation that he's writing to who's facing real life problems. I mean, people who are facing a variety of trials. I mean, trials where their trust in God is being tested, where their trust and their faith in God is being stretched. But I think what's really interesting interesting is is that James doesn't just sugarcoat their problems. He doesn't just give pat answers, but instead James wants to help his readers. He wants to help us uh, to go through these difficult times in such a way that their relationship with God is deepened and grows. And so James spends a lot of time, even in this first chapter, reminding his readers of the character of God. Because he knows that in the midst of struggles, our view of God can become cloudy oftentimes. That we might wonder if God is still present with us as we're going through those difficulties. Or we're wondering if God is truly, totally good. And we wonder how much he really cares for us. And what our purpose is here on this earth. And and even who we are. And so we might struggle with those things. But James reminds them of the unchanging, generous and completely good character of God. He reminds them that God created them because he desired to do so, and he did so that they could be, as it says in verse 18, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That's all true, no matter what the circumstances are. And he wants to remind them, he wants to remind us of that. And so in in the paragraph that we just looked at last week, in verses 19 through, through 21, James encourages his people to be quick to hear the words of truth, to hear the word of God, listening and receiving again and again the truth of God's amazing love and grace for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ that will help us to be more deliberate and faithful in our words and with our anger. And so now James wants to expand on that truth here by not only talking about hearing the word of God or receiving the word of God uh, each week as we come to worship here, but understanding that hearing also involves doing what you've just heard and being doers of the word. Now, this is something that we're used to in everyday life. I mean, imagine if, if you would that you went out to your mailbox and while you went out to your mailbox, your neighbor also went out to his mailbox and the two of you began to, to start chatting with each other. And so you're just standing right there in the middle of the road talking to one another and just enjoying a conversation with a good neighbor. But then all of a sudden somebody says, hey, here comes a car. Now, what are you going to do when you hear that? Are you going to just continue to stand there and talk to your neighbor? Probably not. 
you're probably going to take that which you have heard and you're going to apply that and you're going to say, oh, we need to step over to the side. And so you're going to step off the road, let the car go by, and then you might continue on your conversation. You know, we make those adjustments in our lives that, that fit the truth that we know and the truth that we have heard. Now, parents, uh, don't you oftentimes wonder if your children are truly hearing you when you tell them something and you don't see any outward response? I mean, they just sort of look at you like, you know, you got a third head or something like that. You know, and you're like, did you not hear me? And, and they just go on. Well, this is what James is doing. He is talking to us in verses 19 through 27 about the Word of God and the importance of the Word of God. That we not, not only need to receive it, but we need to be doers of the Word. And then in verses 26 and 27, he's going to talk about what that looks like specifically as we are, are doers of the Word of God. And he shows us that hearing the Word without doing it is really deception. And, and it's important that as we hear that and we understand that, that he's not talking about unbelievers who are being deceived. You know, but he's talking about people who are, are church-going people, people who, uh, who are not pagans, but people who are sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. And so the first thing I want us to look at this morning is, is that hearing the Word without doing it is self-deceiving. In verses 22 through 24, he says in verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now, James tells his readers that when they hear, but they don't integrate what they hear into their lives, that they are deceiving themselves. Now, now hearing the word of God is, is good. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it means nothing if it's not put together or if it's not matched with doing what God has said. And that's why the person who hears God's word and does nothing more than does that, then they are deceiving themselves. And it's interesting here, do you see? It's not that someone else is deceiving them. It's that we are deceiving ourselves when we are hearers only. But, but what does it mean to be self-deceived? Well, you know, James is very good. You can just see his pastor's heart throughout this whole letter. And he gives us an illustration that sort of explains it. Look at verses 23 and 24. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Now, you know, when we think of a mirror, we think of this piece of glass that's on the wall, probably has a beautiful frame around it, and, and it's hung up, you know, about eye level, so you can easily look into it and you can, you can see exactly what you look like. But in biblical days, their mirrors looked a little bit different than that. They actually were not made out of glass, they were made out of some kind of metal. Could be copper, could have been bronze, could have been gold, probably depending on how wealthy they were. But that metal was polished. And, and then they would look into that piece of metal. And the metal usually wasn't hung on the wall like our mirrors are, but it's usually placed on a table. And, you know, so they would look down into that, that mirror and they would, they would see what they look like. And so James says to a person who is only a hearer of the word, uh, so James says a person who is only a hearer of the word but does not do what it says is like a person who looks into that mirror and see what he looks like and walks away and he forgets. So when a person comes to church and they hear the word of God proclaimed, he is made to look into that mirror. I mean, you're sort of confronted with 
the reality of what God's word says. And as we hear that word that's preached to us, we sort of talked about this in the communicants class a little bit this morning, that as the word of God is held up before us, it acts as a mirror into our soul to see who we really are. It, it judges not only our actions, but our thoughts as well, and even the attitudes of our own hearts. And we might see that we're living a life that looks good, but deep down inside, as we, as, as we sort of look at the Word of God, as it reflects who we are, we may see that really maybe our attitudes are very selfish. Maybe they're not attitudes of seeking to glorify the Lord as much as they are to look good in front of other Christians so that people might uh, think more highly of ourselves. And so, you know, as the Word is held up before us, we may not look so good. You know, it may be sort of like what we look like when we get up in the morning. And we look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, whoa, that was a rough night, you know. And uh, some of us have to stand before that mirror for quite a few hours before we look as well as what you guys looked this morning. You know, others maybe not so much so. But that's what it looks like when we look into that perfect law of liberty that, that he's talking about here. That is what it looks like when we hear God's word preached to us, that we realize that we're not so pretty and, and we realize our sin. You know, we may not have even thought about that sin when we walked in the door of church and we sort of felt pretty good about ourselves as we were living out the week. But as we hear the word of God preached, we realize that by nature we are people who are prone sometimes even to hate God and, and our neighbor. We see the filth of our sin. It yet still clings to us oftentimes. And we need to be cleansed. We need to be beautified. And that beauty comes only through the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, he alone can turn our guilt into righteousness. He is the one that makes us righteous. So as we, as we come before the word, we, we see that there's two kinds of hearers. And we see one of those here in verses 23 and 24. You know, the first one is, is, is a hearer that, that looks at the word and says, Ooh, I'm not the greatest. But you know what? I could be worse, you know, and we sort of hear God's word, but maybe we don't take it to heart so much. And we're, we're like, yeah, that sort of applies to me, but we don't give it that much thought and we leave and we sort of forget what we look like. And maybe later on, you know, we sort of think, you know, actually, I'm probably the most handsome man in the world. I'm actually probably all looking pretty good, you know, because we sort of forget what God's word looks like. And that's why James brings this up, because there are so many who sit under the preaching of the word of God and our forgetful hearers. You know, sometimes they may be enthusiastic hearers and, and they, they may listen and they may leave church, though, and forget what it is that they have heard. And so they hear the preaching of the word of God and even agree with it. But the moment that Sunday is over, they forget the word. It's because they don't carry that word out into their lives. It, it never seems to direct them or change them in the ways that, that are needed. They, they don't ap apply it to their lives, maybe in their parenting or in their relationship with their mothers and fathers. Maybe young people, you can relate to this, or kids, you can relate to this. They, they don't glean from the preaching the principles of God's word that ought to direct them in their dating life or in their marriage or in their relationship with their employer or with their employees or maybe in their relationship to the government. You know, they don't apply it to their finances or to their work or to their friendships or maybe to their entertainment 
you know, what they watch on Netflix or Hulu or whatever service that you might use to, to get your entertainment or, or the way that they deal with others or maybe even their place in the church. And they often function with a vague sense of what God's word says, but mostly they function out of their gut instinct and do what they think is probably a right. That's because they use their Bibles maybe on Sunday morning, maybe on their phone, or they bring their Bible. But the rest of the week, God's word sits on the shelf and gathering dust. And so they hear it, but they forget it. They come to church willingly enough, but to do it as a matter of custom or, or of habit. The preaching is merely a matter of theology or of truth that is preached to them, but not a lot of not a matter of a practical life. And so this type of here is not merely lazy, but that person's not listening in faith. And that's the call of the gospel, is it not? Believe! Have faith! Trust! Do the things that God has said. Now kids, do you remember back in the fall when we were talking about the five solas and we were talking about faith, how we described faith? How I could say, you know, I believe that this chair... It's going to hold me up, right? And I could talk about that all day long. And I could say, I believe that. But until I sit down in that chair, I'm not showing and I'm not exercising that faith. And it's the same way with God's word. We can sit under the preaching of God's word and it can be the best preaching in the world. And we can listen to that and say, yes, I agree to that. You might even say, oh, yes, I can see that sin in my life. And, and we are so much in agreement with that. But when we walk out that door, nothing happens. There's no sense of applying that truth to our lives. We think that knowing the truth is, is enough. You know, and so sometimes, you know, we might sort of think this way. Maybe ask the question this way. You know, isn't it enough? You know, maybe we struggle with complaining and grumbling and things like that. And we say, you know, isn't it enough to know that complaining and grumbling are harmful to my peace with God? Do I really have to stop doing those things? But the answer is, yes. Yes. You do have to do those things. You know, and, and we do this all the time, do we not? What are the things that we struggle with in our Christian life, but yet nobody sort of talks about? You know, maybe it's prayer. Maybe we lead a pretty prayerless life. And we, we almost have created somehow sort of a, a comfort zone with that. We're okay not not to pray so much. Or or maybe it's evangelism. I remember one church I was at, I was responsible for the evangelism explosion program. And whenever I would make an announcement about evangelism, you could just see everybody in the church sort of lowering their heads like this, you know, until I got done with the announcement. And then it was like, okay, whew, now we can move on. You know, there was sort of a relief because there was just sort of an overwhelming sense of guilt that I don't share my faith with other people. But we weren't really planning on doing anything about that to be in line with what God has commanded us to do. Or maybe we say, isn't it enough to hear God made me out of his own free choice and he loves me and that, that he's good and generous? Is, is, is that enough just to, to know that? No. James says that when we do this, we are deceiving ourselves, lying to ourselves. We believe that we are living in the truth when in fact we are not, we are not enjoying any of the benefits of trusting in God because we are not in fact trusting in Him. 
So we might be like somebody who goes to the doctor, you know, maybe to a specialist because we're, we're having some health problems. And so we go and we listen to the doctor and the doctor tells us the things that we are to do and we walk away. And for some of us, we may not do anything the doctor says. For others, we're like, okay, well, yeah, I, I'm taking the pills, okay? And we go back a couple weeks later and we're like, doctor, what's wrong? I, I'm not feeling well. And he's like, well, are you taking the pills? Yeah, I'm taking the pills. Well, have you adjusted your diet and are you exercising? Well, yeah, not so much so. And so there's a sense in which there's sort of a, a, a willingness to have a partial obedience, but not completely to what he says. And that's one of the things I like about counseling with people. You know, sometimes as I sit and I proclaim the word of God here on Sunday morning, I don't know how much lands on fertile soil where we hear the word and then we walk away and we do it. But in counseling, there's a little bit more immediate feedback. I get a chance to sit down with individuals or with couples and I get to share with them what God's word says as I, as I listen to their problems and the struggles that they have. And then I say, this is what God's word says and this is what it means that we are to do in our lives. And then I get the, an opportunity to see those, that individual or for those couples to take that word and to apply that to their lives. I get to see their lives begin to change. I get to see God's work in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that brings about changed habits and changed attitudes in their lives. You know, and, and what I often see is in these people as, as they do what God's word says that, you know, God becomes much more present to them in their everyday life. You know, that as they begin to do what God's word says, it's like they can't help but talk about the Lord. Now, that's not to say that they obey the Lord perfectly in their lives. But overall, as they look to God more seriously in all their areas of their lives, they begin to see the truth of his love and his care for them in new ways. And they're very excited about walking with the Lord and not only hearing what he says, but doing what he says as well. And that's what James commands us to do here. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Well, if a person who hears the word without doing it is self-deceived, then a person who hears the word and does do it is blessed, is what James tells us in verse 25. Look at it. It says, But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be a blessing in his doing. Well, this is the other kind of hearer that James talks about. If the first one is one who looks at themselves and says, well, you know, I'm not so great, but, but you know, I could be worse. This is a person who looks at the, tr the truth of God's law and he sees his life the way that God's word reveals it. He begins to see his heart and oftentimes the sin that he wrestles with the way that God's word does. And he takes that to heart and he continues to remember what that looks like. Even after he hears the word preached, as he's listening to the word of God, it's really sometimes sort of hard to apply that word right now uh, while you're hearing the word preached. That usually doesn't happen until we walk out the door. But for a person who hears and does, he has his mind or she has her mind so trained and in tune with the word of God that as it hears these things, it's, it's already beginning to think, how does my life need to change? 
What, what, what does this mean for me? What is it that God is calling me to do? And while they haven't been able to put that into practice, they're already thinking about how they could do that. And so they're sort of devising these action steps. And as that person leaves and walks out into the world to live their week, the word continues all through the week to be before their mind's eye. They're thinking about the sermon and they're thinking about the application and the things that they've, they've said and, and the things that, that they have heard. And so James says here that such a person looks into the perfect law. Now the word for looks here is different than the word and looks in the other two verses that come before it. Here he's talking about one who stoops and gazes intently into the perfect law. That would be like somebody who puts that mirror down and they look at it and they look, wow, huh, you know, and they're looking very carefully to see every detail. It's not just sort of a quick glance. Oh, yeah, OK, that's what I look like, you know, walk away and forget. But this is somebody who like studies themselves in, in the mirror and in, in the perfect law. Now, it's interesting to see the description that James uses here for, for the law of the word of God. He said God's laws are perfect. Now, there is a sense in which the law of God is flawless. And without error because it reflects the character of God. Right? You know, and because God is holy and perfect and we are not in our obedience to his word, there is a sense in which any time the word of God is open, we will constantly be shown our shortcomings. You know, we're going to see that. And, and oftentimes there's going to be several different kinds of responses that we could have. One might be a desire to fill the gap between what we see in God's word and what we see in our lives. You know what? I just, yeah, oh, I know I need to love my neighbor more. I need, oh, I just need to try harder to do that. And we find ourselves sort of falling back into a works righteousness, you know, of a sense of trying to earn God's favor. You know, God doesn't love me because I'm not really obeying him. And so we feel like we need to do something about that. But then maybe some of our responses might be almost the opposite of that. Maybe even an apathy toward trying to obey God's word because we know that we'll never perfectly do that. You know, we will always fall short sometimes, you know, and so uh, because we won't be fully sanctified until we're in heaven, right? And so for some people, they're like, you know, actually, I'm never going to get there. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll do my best maybe to hear God's word and to... To do it, but you know they don't give themselves to that sense of obeying the word of God, or there's a response of acknowledging that we will never fill that gap between what God's word says, between what the mirror shows us, and and the lack of what we see in our lives. But because of what Christ has done, we rejoice and we rest in the reality that Christ has already kept the law perfectly and then he has credited that righteousness to our account. And because he's done so, not only is there a joyful heart, even when we see our sin, you know, but there's a sense of, but God, I want to obey you too. There's a sense I want to do this because what you have done for me. So while we don't perfectly obey God's law because of what Christ has done, the Father looks at us as if we had perfectly obeyed the law of God. And so we, we, we see here really what Easter is all about, do we not? That Christ's resurrection is the evidence that he has accomplished the salvation for us. It is a done deal. Amen? Amen? Amen. 
Okay. I mean, I know we're Presbyterian, but this is something that even Presbyterians can get excited about. You know, that Christ is risen from the dead and he has given us the power to walk in obedience to him. And we will not do so perfectly, but we know that he will complete the work that he has begun in us. You know, so there's that sense in which the law of God is perfect. But there's another sense that the law of God is perfect. And I think this is what James is talking about, that he refers to the fact that these laws that God gives us are complete. That they express for you and for me the complete will of God for our lives. They are, are perfectly suited to life in this world. I mean, think about, uh, and you're welcome to turn to Psalm 19. You may already have this memorized, but Psalm 19, verse 7 through 11, talks about the law of God. And it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And that's what James talks about here as well. That these laws are not useless to us. They're not outdated for, for modern man. The laws of God, the word of God is vital and dynamic for our life today. Now, we live in a culture that says the exact opposite. We actually live in a culture that's been very uh, shaped and formed by evolution. And some of the evolutionary thinking has even sort of sifted into the church. Now, I'm not saying that we believe in evolution in terms of how we got here. But evolutionary thinking is sort of that idea that what is old is bad. And what is new is good. And what is coming is even better. You know, because man is progressively getting smarter and smarter and smarter and smarter and wiser and wiser and wiser. Well, guess what, folks? This book isn't very new. You know, it's really not. And so our world looks at this and says, wow, this is archaic. This is outdated. This stuff doesn't apply to us. Yeah, well, that's what these people thought in olden days when they were ignorant. But now we're smarter. We're wiser we know better. We know what it's look like. That's a bunch of garbage, folks. It is. This is the word of God that is timeless. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can see the beginning from the end. His word, his ways are never outdated. You know, we're, we're progressing along and we're always learning things new. Not God. He knows it all. He's been there. He's out outside of time and space. And so his word is relevant to our world today. And we must give that. But, you know, the law is not only the law that's perfect, but it's a law of, of liberty. It is the law that is a source of, of freedom for us. You know, um, as we think about laws, we don't usually think about freedom, do we not? Don't we usually think about being restrained? 
you know, that there's limits that's put upon us. And the reality is, with the Word of God, it's the same way. There are limits on us. We are not allowed to say or to think or to act the way we want to if we follow God's Word because it is sort of a restraint. But while God's Word does not allow us to live as we might like, it does enable us to live as we were created and redeemed to live. You know, and that's what we see in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Romans six sixteen. Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of your teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. In other words, what Christ has done is he has set us free from our own wicked and evil desires, from those things that are selfish, those things that want to control us and want to sort of mold and shape the way we think and the way that we act. But, but God's word allows us to obey which, what is good. You know, it's a little bit like a budget. I'm sort of a budget guy. But I don't run into many people that like budgets, you know, and, and I've oftentimes wondered, why do you not like budgets? Do you not realize how much freedom there is? But then I come to realize that really budgets are not about money. They're about priorities. They're about fulfilling the desires and the things that we we want. OK, that's what really money is about. OK, and what a budget does is, is it comes in and it says, I'm not going to give you what you want, but I'm going to help you to spend your money in a way that is responsible. A way where you can make sure all your bills are paid. You can even make sure that bills are paid uh, that you weren't expecting. And actually, you can even plan for the future to have savings. And as you do that, you have great freedom because you know exactly where you stand financially. And you have the ability to face even the uncertainties of the future. And so, and as a matter of fact, if you live on a budget long enough and sort of submit to that, your desires oftentimes begin to change over time. You know, you said, well, I wanted to go blow all my money on this or I wanted to go blow all my money on that. But this is sort of cool to see my savings account grow and to, to have some security. And you're like, wow, this is pretty awesome. Well, it's the same way as we look intently into the word of God and, and, and into his laws and we preserve, we persevere in, in that obedience. In other words, we don't give up and we continue on in that. It might feel restraining at first, just like a budget does, but in many ways it sets us free. You know, and 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 I want us as we think about uh, this sense of being a doer of the word of God, what what does that mean? Okay, let me just let me just go through this very briefly because I, I think it's really important. To act on the truth we hear is to live as if God is truly our gracious Heavenly Father. Okay? In other words, obedience is not just about the rules. It's not just about, well, you know, God said this and I got to do this or that. But it's really understanding who our God is. It's really understanding His, His, His character. And, and as we... We do that and we understand who we are in Christ. We understand our identity. Then it allows, as we look intently into God's word, understanding that he is a God who loves us. He is a God who is good. And so these things that we read in his word that bring about conviction of our heart, 
It's a good thing because it comes from the hands of a loving Father. For the things that rebuke us for our outright sin, as we look intently into that mirror and we see those things and we understand, you know, this hurts. This is going to require me to change things in my life and to do things differently that I don't want to do. But you know what? This comes from the hand of my loving Heavenly Father. As we do that and we allow that word to do that, it's able in a very deep way to change the habits and transform our minds and our words and our actions. It begins to get into the, the depths of who we really are. And the way we relate to ourselves and others, how we spend our time and our money, and even just our general outlook on life, all need to come under the light of God's gracious words. And the reason we are to turn from, you know, go back to the example of grumbling and complaining, the reason we are to, to turn from grumbling, for instance, is because when we're complaining, we are not trusting that God is good. We're not trusting that God is present, and we're not trusting that God is active. Instead, we sort of live out of two minds. You know, we say that we trust God, but we act as if we don't trust God. You know, and so if we're a hearer only and not a doer, there's great opportunity for duplicity in our lives. To be sort of two-faced. To say one thing, and yet we act another way. But as we, as we sit in this chair, as we say, I have faith in this, and then we sit in the chair, we truly see if there is a duplicity in our life or whether we are consistent people that live by faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. So to act on what we hear is not simply to try harder, to stop complaining or to be anxious. James is not encouraging us to try harder. He is encouraging us to do whatever we need to do in order to feed our faith in our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters. That's what he wants us to see. So we turn our anxiety over to Jesus himself and our desires to grumble, we give to him. It's not just keeping rules, but it's turning those things over to him and trusting him. We hand over each day our relationships, our thoughts, and the questions to God moment by moment, thus allowing our faith to become a more living and true faith. And to trust in him. And it says that when we do so, that we are blessed. That we are blessed. James reminds them of the result of continually choosing to hand over our lives to God. The one who perseveres in looking into the perfect law will be blessed in his doing. God will bless us in the midst of our acting in faith. It's a little bit like that budget thing. You know, you're going to find yourself being blessed as you uh, sort of work out that plan of, of your budget, because it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change the way you operate with your money. And it's the same way with God and his word. He, he changes us, and we, we live our lives the way that God has blessed us. Now, I sort of think, as I think about, you know, not just being a hearer of the word, but being a doer of the word, Sort of heard a story of a, a gray-haired old lady who was a longtime member of the church, and she shook the preacher's hand as she forced got ready to walk out the door one Sunday, and she said, "Preacher, that was a wonderful sermon." She meant, "I, I mean, just wonderful. Everything you have said applies to someone I know." You know, but isn't that sometimes our temptation? 
to hear the word and think, you know, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Or, you know, I bet so-and-so could be helped out by that. It's so easy to see how God's word applies to others, but not to ourselves. Or, or maybe if we know that it does apply to us, but we've just not given ourselves to do that, it may be that we're waiting on, for something to happen. You know, some great spiritual experience to make them do what they really know from God's word. But James commands them to do it. And, and I think we ought not to underestimate this. I know for years I struggled in my quiet time, my personal worship time with the Lord. And, and one day I just thought, yeah, I, I just really am struggling with this. And, and I think what I honestly what I was waiting on was for something to change in my life to make my quiet time easier. I think that's honestly what I was just thinking. And I have to tell you, this actually, this all happened too when I was a preacher, just to make matters even worse. Okay? And, and I was just really struggling in my quiet time with the Lord. And then I just thought, you know, this really isn't about me waiting for something to happen to make this easier. This is really about, am I going to obey what God says? And so, a little bit of Nike theology isn't bad. Just do it. Just do it, okay? You know, it's not so bad. If God's word says it, do it. You know, and, and from that day on, I have to tell you, it still sometimes is a struggle to have my quiet time. That's because that's, but that's because of my own stupidity. It's not because the Lord isn't faithful. But I have to say, I have much more enjoyed my times with the Lord since then. As I've just walked in obedience to him to say, you know, this is what his word says. And I have turned to his Holy Spirit and I've said, Lord... Help me in this. Help me to grow in this and seeing. And it's just been wonderful to spend that time with the Lord. And so I just want to encourage us that really this whole sense of being a, a, not only a hearer but a doer of the word really probably has more to do with our understanding of who God is in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, as I was talking with the young people in the communicants class, we were talking about how there's this preface on the Ten Commandments which says, you know, I have brought you out of the land of Egypt and I've saved you is basically what God says. I'm summarizing greatly. Okay. And then he gives them the law because he doesn't want them just to say, here's my word, now do it. He says, I want you to understand I have redeemed you. I have loved you. I have saved you. You were so sinful. You deserve to go to hell. Every one of us do. But Christ died on the cross, and when he died, he said, it is finished. It is complete. And then, to put the exclamation mark on it, then the resurrection happens to show us that it truly was. He really did accomplish it. Christ is no longer in the grave, but he is risen. And that should bring us uh, great comfort as Christians as, as we seek to do this, he wants us to know that he commands us to do these things because he loves us. And he wants us to do these things because this is how he created us to live and to give ourselves to him. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you, as James does, as he commands us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers as well. Let's bow our heads for a time of silence and meditation this morning. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us of yourself.
that you have sent your Son, that you have sealed your children by your Holy Spirit, that we are secure and we can walk in you and we can not only hear your commands and know them, but Lord, obey them and walk in obedience to them. But Lord, I pray for us this morning. I pray for our congregation, Lord, that we would grow to to love you more, to appreciate the great salvation that you have given to us. Lord, if there are any hearts that are here this morning that are hardened towards you, Lord, any hearts that are apathetic, God, I pray that you might open their eyes to the wonderful truth of, of who you are and what you have done for us. And God, I pray this week as, as we walk out this door and as we go through our daily routines, that God, that you won't let this sermon just drift away from our thinking. But I pray that you would bring it back to our minds over and over and over again this week. I pray, Lord, that we would give ourselves to the reading of your word and the study of your word and the meditating and just thinking about these things. Not just what we know, but God, so much so that it, we actually do these things that you have commanded us. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, who is struggling to obey you, I pray that you might give them your strength and your power, that they could step out in faith, they could sit down in the chair and not just say they believe it, but they could actually do it. We just thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. It is in him alone that we place our hope and our trust and we rejoice and worship you as a result of that. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.